This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. And uh, it's a joy and privilege to come to the Psalms because Psalms cover so much emotions and expresses so much of what uh, we want to say and what we want to hear from God. And today's songs were great as we were singing and praising God and asked that God will also help us to praise Him even more as we look at Psalm 8. So let me begin this time by um, committing us to God. We ask that He will open our eyes to see His glory. Should we pray? Oh God, it is so amazing to praise you. And we ask this afternoon as we open up Psalm 8, that you open us, open our eyes, that we can see you and that we can praise you. Amen. Now there are many great things that we humans admire and look up to. You know, there were the seven wonders of the world. You have the Great Wall of China, the Taj Mahal, the Roman Colosseum, and their band of wonders. In fact, they're all uh, a lot of different seven wonders. The ancient ones, the modern ones, the, the American ones. There are many great architectural achievements. There are also great scientific inventions, including nuclear warheads or spacecraft. Or perhaps the great technological advancement of CGI animations that you can see things that are not real, but they look real. Now humans, we have great many things to look up to and to admire, to be reminded of the greatness of the human race. Now in one sense, this is rightly admirable because humans are unlike the other species, because humans do have greatness. There's greatness in humanity. But yet, if we only look at the wonders of man's creation, our creation, we have not looked high enough to see where do our greatness comes from. Now, there was a young boy, a shepherd boy, who takes care of sheep just outside Bethlehem. Uh, as with all good shepherds, on many occasions, he would just stay out in the wild to take care of the sheep, to make sure that they are cared for. And as he slept in the open land, he kept watch over his father's sheep, he would look up at the sky and be amazed at the hand that's made all of that creation that's just beyond his reach, even as he looked up. He stood amazed at the Creator God who had made all of this. Now this young shepherd boy was bold when he faced lions, but he was tender when he comes to his God. Because he knows who was who watches his back. Or rather, he knows who he belongs to in all of life. Now on one occasion, this young shepherd boy, he was visiting um, his brothers, trying to bring them some food. He heard this um, arrogant Philistine giant mocking God and God's people. And he was angry. In fact, the words of this boy to the giant become sealed in the words of history. Let me read to you what this boy said in First Samuel 17, 42. He, David, was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome, and the Goliath the giant despised him. He said to this young boy, David, 
Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? But David, he looked at the Philistine and he said this, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And he goes on to say, The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And the head of the giant wrote, as history unfolds. This boy, as this historical passage um, tells us, was David, Israel's greatest king, the author of this very psalm that we're going to look at today. King David is one who is familiar with great victories and great persecutions. He's one who is who understands greatness and who knows humility. He's one who's familiar with trials and difficulties. That he wrote majority of the Psalms that we read that humans and Christians come to to find comfort. And it's here in Psalm 8, a Psalm of praise to God that is placed right in the middle of actually two great sets of laments. We've looked at Psalm 1 and 2, but Psalm 3 to 7 is a great series of five laments of David. And after Psalm 8, from 9 to 14, is another five. If you consider um, verse, um, Psalm 9 and 10 is one Psalm, it's another five laments of David. In all of these laments, suddenly pops up Psalm 8, which is to praise God and nothing else. What really helps David to understand um, the value of life and what really helps David and hope for us is well to navigate through life is actually to know God. David is not asking us to begin by looking at the greatness of humans. He says we need to, for us to know our value and to know our greatness, we first look at the greatness of God. So today, as David invites us to look at this, I would like to invite you to look at it with me as King David sings this psalm. So let me begin by reading from Psalm 8 verse 1a. This is what it says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the psalm ends off saying, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is the name in all the earth. This is what we call a bookend of the psalm. It begins this way, ends this way, because this is going to be the overarching theme of the greatness and the majesty of God. And it's not just David's Lord. Guess who is he as well? He's also our Lord. Lord, our Lord, how great and majestic is your name. So after declaring his intention, David now points out the majesty of God. It's kind of revealed in expected ways as well as very unexpected ways. So look at me to verse 1b and 2 as I read to you as we look at God's heavenly glory and the praises of children. Let me just read this for us. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, as King David learned from a young age that God's glory is revealed in heaven, but we also see God's glory revealed in those who are dependent, who are needy in the presence of God, those who are vulnerable. You no, know, while Goliath the giant is great, he was blinded from the greatness of God that David saw when he was just a young shepherd boy 
And it is with that that he declares against Goliath and he was defeated. Now in a very bodily sense, you know, infants can't really verbalize and praise God. But what infants do? Infants cry. When you have a newborn that's born out of uh, the mom's womb and that first cry, that cry defies humanity's proudness to say, you know what, we are the greatest creator. And the baby say, look at my creator. Because in that cry, he has just declared that the creator of this infant has known him before any other human beings have seen him. That he formed him in the mother's womb and he found every single molecular structure of that baby. And if you look at kind of a, a infant or a, a, a child growing up with a nose that just looks like the mom in, in genetic, uh, it's foolishness for us to say, ah, such a random thing. Or to look at one child that is just different from all the others and all of them are different and say, well, that's just randomness of children. But they all are the greatness of great design. There's no copyright or some other thing. They're all uniquely and beautifully made. So infants in their cry, they praise God. So whether you're kind of a parent, uncle, auntie, or just a friend of an uh, 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 infant we have here, after service, go and look at a baby and um, be amazed at how they praise God for being them. Meanwhile, the praise of children also speaks volume to the proud and to the arrogant. We have seen that in, in the young David against Goliath. And David, he was not the first. And David will not be the last. Who will praise God and shame the arrogant. Because God is glorified when childlike faith of Christians call upon their father for help and praise his father for rescuing them. And this is nothing new because as you look at the whole of the Bible in the Old Testament and the New, this repeats itself as kind of a daily diet when the children of God in desperate need cries out to God and God rescues and brings them out against their enemies and their adversaries. So let's look at verse 2. It says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the venture. So in Psalm 8, verse 1 and 2, it shows us the glory of God is not only shown in the heavens, but it's shown in the weakness of those who come to Him and also to praise Him. Now why is David, you know the Bible calls David as one after God's own heart. Why is David called one after God's own heart? It's perhaps because he knows and he recognizes that God is a great God. And he is not. No matter what, the world looks at David and calls him great. He says, you know what? I know where's the greatness. Where it comes from. And God says, I know too. But I'll let you have a glimpse for the world to see through you. But one of the greatest things when David is called one of the God's own heart is this, in this psalm, that as he looked at the heavens and the greatness of the world, he recognized one more thing. That in this vastness, God cares for those little ones like Him, like you, and like me. And He knows the heart of God, that God cares even for the smallest one amongst us that humanity might even ignore. 
So verse 3 reads this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Here, as he looks at the canvas of God's painting, no, God doesn't have fingers, if you don't realize that, but it's using human portrayal that he uses his hand and he flung stars into the sky as if it's kind of effortless. And he does that as David looked at how God flung stars in the skies, how the earth is perfectly situated. Oh, he doesn't know that, but we know that it's 149.6 million miles from the sun so that parts of our world have four seasons of winter, spring, summer, autumn. And for Singaporeans, we have our kind of regular rain and sun. That if the, 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 the movement, the distance just kind of changed a little bit, we'll look like the rest of the deserted planets. Or that we are kind of less than a million miles, 0.384 million miles from the moon, such that we're never in darkness. The greater light always rules in the day, and the lesser light keeps us um, in, in light as well. That's all of God's creation. And, and David is one who just looks at it and wonders at it. There was this uh, Navy uh, officer in the earlier service. He, he shared this the other day while we were heading off to eat life. He says, you know, it's really difficult, but it's totally possible to navigate the ships before the GPS time using the constellation. It's like, he finds that it's really hard, but they all have to learn to appreciate it. But it's totally possible to navigate your life using the constellation God has set in place in this vast universe that we cannot touch, but we continue to depend on, on them. This earth we live in is really but a speck of this world. I'm, I've, I'm not familiar with kind of all this um, big scientific stuff, but I've, I've got Google to help me a little bit. I want to show you how, how big we humans are, okay? The earth we live in is really but a speck to our solar system. If you press the button, you will kind of show which is, our solar system is but a speck to our interstellar neighborhood, which is but a speck within the Milky Way galaxy, which is but a speck within the local galactic group, which is a speck within the Virgo supercluster, which is again a speck within the local supercluster, and finally even that is but a speck within, not the universe, but the observable universe. <laughs> if you can kind of work it out, I can't really work it out uh, how big humans actually are, but we really are less than a speck of a speck of a speck of God's creation. But when David, as he sings Psalms 8 and remembers the creation story account of Genesis 1 and 2, he remembers the pinnacle of creation was not in creating all these things. The pinnacle of creation when was God created humans, men and women in his image. And he asked humans to represent him. Now how boastful little creatures like us, whose nuclear weapon really doesn't cause a single dent in God's observable universe. God reveals himself to us and for us. Verse 4, it says, What is mankind is a consequence of verse 3, when David looks at the heavens. And so he declares verse 4, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. The more David, and perhaps for us, 
the more we contemplate about God's greatness as a creator, the more unimaginable for us to realize God really cares for you and me and does what He has done for us. His willingness to care for weak people like us who is but a, really a breath. No matter how great a man you are in our media, we are really but a breath even in time in God's observable universe. So dear friends, have you and I contemplated on God's greatness recently? Or have we been really busy looking at other great things and difficult things and missed out all that David looks at as a young shepherd boy? You know, perhaps with pollution it gets a little bit harder, but uh, you get a point that we just take some time and observe the greatness of God and what He has done for us. You no, know, Recognize how small we are in the sense of insignificance of who we are. But then, pause, and because we have God's word to recognize what God has made us in significance of all His other creations. And if that's not enough for you and me, David has more to say. Look at verse 5. He says this, You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You know, someone once says this, uh, about evolution and humanity. We're kind of a bit better and higher species than the apes. Recently, I went to watch Planet of Apes. I kind of think that, well, I'm not sure which is greater. But if you're on evolution, it tells you we're a bit greater than the other animals. And we strive our best to be better than the animals in our creation and all the things that we have done. But you know what? Because sin sets in, there are times when we look at humanity as a whole we are worse off than the creatures. The way we abuse each other, the way we abuse the world, we're kind of worse off than the other creatures. But if we are to look at ourselves according to Psalm 8 and Genesis, that we are just slightly lower than the angels, you know what happens? It's no longer a roller coaster, but we look at and go and wonder how far we have fallen from what God has made us to be. And the response, if you are someone who knows God, is, God, how far have I fallen? And how can I come back to how you've made us? And in fact, if you look at your Bible versions, if you have your Bible, some of the footnotes on the word angel actually says God. That you are a little bit lower than God. I think either way is kind of beyond my comprehension what that actually uh, looks like, but if you're like me, contemplating about the universe and makes us aware of how insignificant we are, God's word tells us that we are a lot more significant than anyone else in this world can tell you about your significance and my significance. So David, when he he wrote Psalms eight, he didn't come up with kind of this new idea as a shepherd boy, kind of bored and come up with this idea. He came out exactly from Genesis one and two of God's creation of man and woman in his own image after creation of the flocks and herds and animals of the wild birds in the sky fishes in the sea after making all that he made the first humans to have authority over this that's why david sang the rest of the psalm as he echoes genesis 1 and 2 let me read for us verse 6 to 8 you have made them humans rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet, 
all the flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the path of the sea. Now this is the value of humanity. We are not the strongest, we are not the biggest, we are not the longest living, but our value is by God making us rule on His behalf after He created all that. Now dear friends, I want to ask this question. What is your view, your worldview and my worldview as we look at our own lives, as we look at the world, as we look at our crossroads, as we look at the things between so-called, what we say, life and death of us. What, what worldview do you carry? Because if, you, if we carry the worldview that the world has, looking at the world, the way the world looks, you know what? Our life is a roller coaster. On a good day when you are doing well, you kind of feel that you are a bit higher there. On a bad day, you find that you are worth nothing. On a good day, you think that we are God. On a bad day, we think that, you know what, life is not worth living. But if we wear the lens of Psalm 8 or Genesis, we are always stable. Our value and, and, and our worth doesn't depend on the exam results that come out in a few months' time. It doesn't depend on our financial status. It doesn't depend on our good looks or, or our just average looks. Because our, our value lies on our image to God. And the thing is, we cannot rightly, this is the case, listen to this, we cannot rightly understand our value if we look at the greatness or the follies of the world. We can only recognize our value when we begin with God. Someone says, if you begin with the doctrine of man, you're in big trouble. But if you begin with the doctrine about God, if you start to understand God, you understand ourselves as humanity. No, if we wear that lens of the world, we'll look different from the way we wear the lens of God that has given. Now, I just want to pause here and consider the implications of this in our day-to-day life. Because if we do understand humanity's value, as how Genesis 1 and 2 says, or Psalm 8, you know, our understanding, our response to topics like abortion, and suicide will be very different from the rest of the world, where they will try to define how many days before this is considered life, and you, you shouldn't. Have. Our view of that will be totally different. As we look at abuse, as we look at suffering, our values will be different to how we see racism. The way we view things in the world and the way we view dignity will be different. Those who are poor, those who are widows, those who are fatherless, the elderly, that sometimes gets kicked around. The dignity doesn't change because their dignity comes from the image of God. The implication of how we view people, the implication of how we view ourselves today, tomorrow, and the day after is very different if we view it from God's perspective of us and not that of the world. But here's when someone might just ask this, you know, Andrew, that's nice and great, but you know what? I can't feel the honor and the glory that you mentioned. As I look around, I don't feel that the world is under my feet. I've seen enough newspaper where 
the animals eat humans, the sharks. If you're kind of surfer in Australia, you're always fighting with the sharks or who gets to enjoy the waves. There's enough when we see honor and glory, but you know what? I see shame in my own life. Why can't I feel it? If that's what Genesis 1 and 2 says, and that's what Psalm 8 is saying about us. I think this is where Genesis 3, after 1 and 2, and New Testament, which will unpack Psalm 8 for us, explains the reason why this is. The reason is because this glory and honor initially given to humanity in Genesis 1 and 2 have been partially lost when we rebel against God. Two things are lost when we rebel against God. The first is that perfect relationship between humans and God who has given us authority. That's messed up. The second thing is eternal life or living forever is lost. How do you kind of rule the world when you kind of die earlier than the others? And these two things, these two things are lost after the fall and the sin of humanity. The world stands cursed because we rebel against God. You see, rebellion does come back to us. As we have a firstborn baby, as we listen to the cry, you know what? The pain of childbirth that moms will remember, the dads will wonder, reminds us that there is an imminent death as this newborn is born. You hope that it will not happen before your time, but you know that it happens. As you look at animals, they can rebel the way that we rebel. Why can't they? As you look at this earth, this earth doesn't produce the way that we want it to produce because it will. it is cursed. And the lease goes on. In fact, for us humans, as we kind of are meant to rule and take care of the world, we kind of see enough abuse of, from ourselves to the world. I don't know if you abuse the world. Sometimes I feel like as I use a lot of over-consuming things, I, I'm not really contributing to the world, I'm a consumer. That if I'm not around the world, I actually have, there are more animals living, there are more pigs and, and beef, uh, not beef, but cows living. But, you know, we have made them hamburgers the way that we uh, just enjoy it for ourselves, sometimes too much. Now, so no humans have fully experienced the glory and the honor that Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 8 has. No one. Until one man appear. That son of David, son of King David, and that's where he picks up what the first Adam kind of fell on the ground, that sin, and that's where I want to bring us to the New Testament in Hebrews 2, where the writer of Hebrew picks up on Psalm 8 to tell us something that we need to hear. So I'm going to read Psalm 8 in three, uh, just a few verses, but in three segments. But let me begin by reading Hebrews 2, verse 5 for us. It's on the screen. If you have it, you can look at it with me. Psalm, Hebrews 2, verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place when someone has testified. Guess who is that? What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man, that you care for him? You made, him a little low, made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And in putting everything under their feet, God left nothing that is not subject to them. You know, the Hebrew author brings our attention 
to God's original intent of creation. The world was not made subject to angels. The world was made in subject to humans for men to represent God. It is God's intention to put all this under him, under us who represents him. And this is what David sings about in amazement in Psalm 8 as he sings about God. And then Hebrews zooms in to answer the hovering question we just asked, but why can't we fill it with the next part of it? So Hebrew author continues from uh, chapter 2. He says this, verse 8, Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now here in Hebrews 2 is the revelation of the depth of God's majesty. He made the world. It shows God's majesty. He gave dust, or smaller than dust like humanity, the authority of being his representative. That shows God's majesty. We, we kind of failed God totally. By chapter 3, we have rebelled. God then brings this glory and honor back as a possibility again by sending His own Son to die on a cross. He came from heaven to earth for a little while to be lower than the angels for a little while in order to die on our behalf. Like us, Jesus tasted death that's rightfully due to you and to me. And here in Hebrews 2 verse 9, the author tells us Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor before all creation, which once again reveals God's majesty. And not only that, God, through the person and works of Jesus Christ, goes on to invite humans back to Him. And that's where Hebrews 2 continues in verse 10. Let me read this to you. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. So both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are as one same family. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Here is God's Majesty revealed, Jesus raised to life, now crowned with the glory and honor of God over creation. And if we come to Him for forgiveness, the day will come when He comes in and fully eradicates sin and evil and all that is wrong. He is not ashamed to share His glory to us who do not deserve. In fact, He will say, you are my brother and my sister. What God has promised in Genesis, what David has cried out in Psalm 8, is still a possibility. And God has planned that it will come true for us, but true the one who came for us. So for a little while, we will not see everything subjected to humanity, or even Christ, because He has not given His final judgment. But the day will come when all of this will come. So dear friends, you know, what we lost and totally don't deserve in Psalm 8 that's being praised is something that God wants us to still have in Christ.
And the words of Psalm 2 points out that Jesus is the Son of Man. He received the glory and the honor. And in turn, Jesus is not ashamed of us. And those of us who come to Him will share this glory. But before I close, I want to bring us to one more passage in the Bible that shows the majesty of God that Psalm 8 has hidden until the arrival of Jesus. As we come to Psalm 8, we see God's majesty has been revealed in Jesus, the Son of God, who was made a little bit lower than the angels. But Jesus is not just the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. And He made that known the week before He dies on the cross for us. Does this account? Before He dies, He was already in Jerusalem. In fact, people are waiting to kill Him. He was in the temple. He was doing miracles healing the lame and the sick, two groups of people came to him. One was the religious elites. The other were the children. And let me read to you this account from Matthew 21. The blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? No, when the children praised Jesus to be the promised son of God, son of David, the, the, the religious were indignant and they scolded. They say they shouldn't say that. And Jesus Quoted Psalm 8. Look at Psalm 8 with me now as you have your passage. What does this verse, as you say that the, in, the children and the infants are praising, who are the children and infants praising in Psalm 8? Is it King David? Look at Psalm 8 verse 2. Who are the children and infants praising? They're not praising King David, isn't it? Who are they praising? They're praising a mighty God. And at the temple, before Jesus died on the cross, he says, have you not heard that the children and the infants are always praising me? That's what David has said all the time. And in that, Jesus actually declared, you know what? I am God, the Son. And I came, made a little bit lower than the angels that have been created so that I can come and bring you back to what God has given and promised to you. That is something that we cannot fully understand in our lifetime. I'm not sure if we can fully understand any time that God the Son, God Himself, the the majestic God, came to us so that we can be saved. So He came to be like us, so that we can be like Him. King David, as he was singing this, does he know it? The Spirit has put in his words that he is speaking about Lord Jesus Christ and the majesty of God. Dear friends, as we cannot close, have we praised the majesty of God recently? Have we praised the God who has done all of this, whose glory is clearly seen in the heavens and creations? And I guess the signs develop and telescopes become greater, we'll see that no matter how great humans are, we can never reach the age of God's creation. 
by ourselves, but God has called us to rule over what He has created. And this is the God that David prays. And I pray, as we read Psalm 8 the next time round, that it is a psalm that you can truly sing as well in praise to God, whether it's in good or bad times, whether you are in the midst of Psalm 3 to 7 of great laments in your life or Psalm 9 to 14, which is another range of great difficulties in David's life that right smack in the middle of all of your life and my life is the doctrine and the understanding of God's Almighty. Because He who is Almighty has planned out things for all who comes to Him. So I want to close this time by praying, but I'm going to pray Psalm 8. So if you have a Bible or bulletin and you'd like to pray with me, you can pray it out aloud or in silence, but we'll sing and praise Psalm 8 together to praise our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the adventure. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for us. You have made them a little lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers of the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet. All the flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.